0: Guys, it's so good to be here with you this morning. Such a sweet spirit in the room. I'm so pleased to be here worshiping with you. Charlie, again, is our lead pastor. If you're new here, he's down in Mexico right now. So my name is Stephen, and it's my privilege to fill in for him when he's not here. We're going to be covering Malachi chapter 3. Now, if you haven't been with us so far, the book of Malachi is a very challenging book. The prophet Malachi is coming and he's saying some things to God's people that are really convicting. And so if you think it's convicting to have to listen to a half-hour sermon from the book of Malachi each week, try spending three or four days in the book of Malachi studying it during the week. And I'm telling you, you leave there going, man, God is so holy and he's so worthy. And your heart feels heavy. But I hope this morning you'll leave here with a good balance of being convicted, but also being encouraged about the love that your Father has for you. When we look around our world, it's really easy to be discouraged. Can we agree with that? Isn't there lots of discouraging things going on? You've got famous celebrities and politicians that seem to break the law and get away with it. Maybe you've been working your tail off at work, and your boss goes in and gives the presentation and he or she takes all the credit for themselves. And you don't get any? Or maybe, um, if, have you ever been in lab and you're the one lab partner who has to do all the work and all your other friends just seem to skate by while you do the work for everybody else? It, am I the only one that's had to do that? Are you guys feeling me this morning? Just uh, It's unjust, right? Crooked businessmen and women make money hand over fist, and it seems like, to coin the phrase, the honest guy just can't catch a break, right? Perhaps the greatest tragedy, those of you who have children, you can clean a room spotless, and I'm telling you, like three minutes and 24 seconds later. It'll look like a tornado has swept through the room. You've seen the meme on Facebook of the guy like shoveling his walk during the blizzard. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Trying to clear the snow out. You ever get tired of doing the right thing? You ever get tired of doing the right thing and watch people who seem to do the wrong thing get ahead? We've all been that way at some time. You ever get tired of serving the Lord? All of us have. You know, pastors are not immune to this. Recent studies have shown that, listen to this, 1,500 pastors a month are leaving the ministry. Think about that for a second. 1,500 pastors a month are leaving the ministry. Now, some of them are leaving under uh, no decision of their own to do so, but rather it's due to moral failings, but those are really the minority The studies show that most of them that are leaving are just burned out and tired, and according to them, they were sick of all the complaining and the division within their church, and they couldn't handle it anymore, so they threw in the towel. Why did they start in ministry? Why do they serve the Lord? What changed in them? These are good questions. I've seen it in congregations over the years. Some people, they used to serve, they used to give, but now that that they just kind of show up occasionally. Maybe they've been hurt by the church, or they felt unappreciated for their work, that they weren't being um, saluted enough. And so they quit. Some of them quit coming to church altogether. Some of them feel like they can worship God apart from his bride, the local church. What did they lose along the way? What did they forget? Why did they serve God? Our text today is Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Take a minute, open up to it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, we will have it up on the screen in Holman Christian Standard Bible Version. And in it, we're going to see a story of God's people that's really not different from what I've been discussing with you these last few minutes. God's people are dealing with some pretty difficult circumstances, and they're watching um, the lost people, even the wicked people of their day, seem to get away with literally murder. And they're trying to live right, they're trying to dot their I's and cross their T's and do the right things, but they don't seem to be getting ahead. And so they're complaining amongst themselves. They're not even complaining to God. And the interesting thing here is you don't see this really often in Scripture, but it's cool how the Bible records it. It's almost like God is eavesdropping on their conversations. And the prophet comes and he goes, hey, I've been listening. God's been listening. Let's pick it up in verse 13. It says there, Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of hosts? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. At that same time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Okay? So again, here's this group not really talking to God, but they're talking to one another. And there's another group amongst the group of complainers that are fearing the Lord. And they turn to one another. And they say, it says here, catch this, the Lord took notice and he listened. The Lord took notice. In the original language there, that phrase of taking notice... It carries the connotation of like, you ever seen a dog on the floor of of your house, and like, you say the word snack in like four rooms over, and the dog's ears go, and they pop up? That's the idea. It's like of an animal giving its immediate attention. And so the Lord heard this complaining and murmuring, and then he heard this group over here that feared him, and he said, oh, pay attention to that. this is what he did. Catch this. The Lord took notice and listened. We're in verse 16. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, a special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For indeed, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all of the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of hosts, not leaving them root or branches, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Now I want you to notice in verse 13 through 15, we're going to call that group group one. Group one in verses 13 through 15. What are they doing? Take a look. What are they doing, this group one, in verse 13 through 14? Let's look closely at verse 14. They're saying things like, it's useless to serve God. And things like, what have we gained? You see, they're getting tired. They're looking at the wicked and the arrogant and the ungodly prosper. And they start blaming and pointing fingers and complaining and saying, we're not going to serve God anymore. Now, what happens when we do this? What happens when you and I do this? Nothing good, I can tell you that. You ever been around complaining people? You know what I'm saying? You ever work with a person that all they did was negative, and complain, and this and that? I mean, it will suck the very lung, your air from your lungs, where you almost want to turn to them, And just, you know, whack and just smack across the face and say, Quit it. But that's what's going on. And you notice the overarching theme of their attitude. What's their attitude? It's useless to serve God. What have we gained? What's their attitude in one word? They're selfish. They're selfish. They're self focused. They ask, What is our cut? What is our cut? You know, in the text here, I found something interesting when I was doing my studying. And it, this section where it says, What have we gained by keeping his requirements? The word there is also translated profit. And it's this idea of, you know, back in the Old Testament days, it's a little difficult for you guys to understand this maybe unless you understand the culture. And in their culture, textiles were expensive, clothing. Okay? In fact, if you had one piece of clothing that was cut from one piece of fabric, in other words, it wasn't pieces of fabric stitched together, it was one piece, it was very valuable. And so many times the weaver working on the loom, when they were working out one piece of fabric in there, they'd get to the end of it and instead of receiving coin and payment for their work, they would actually take a large section of the fabric as payment and they would take it and they would... Cut it, and that would be their cut. And so they're saying, where's our cut? What do we get for this serving God thing? We got into this, we did our part, where's our cut? That's the attitude that's going on. Self-focus and self-pity will always lead us away from God self-focus and self-pity will always lead us away from God. It's the opposite of the example shown in Jesus Christ. He said he came to serve not what? Be served. Why do we focus on ourselves so much? Let's be real. Just you and I today. Not not Old Testament Israelites, before we judge them so harshly, let's look at ourselves. Why do do we do this? You know, despite the fact that we make terrible gods for ourselves, we have a strong habit of worshiping ourselves as God. Are you feeling me this morning? Am I the only one? Most days we wake up and it's all about me, me, me. And we don't even have to try. It's just natural. And our culture doesn't help us. Our culture is extremely self-centered. We have a habit of making everything about us. Even our worship to God. Even our worship to God. You guys have heard me say this before. Americans especially. When we say we're going to come to worship service, we spell service S-E-R-V-E hyphen U-S. Serve us. Everything in our culture is built around what's going to entertain me, what's going to make me comfortable. Instead of being about God, instead of being about His glory, instead of being about His kingdom, we build it around ourselves. We want an eloquent speaker on Sunday morning. Sorry, you got me. We want talented music to entertain us. We want the room to be a certain temperature. We want the coffee to be a certain flavor. And if we don't get that, then we just leave. Nothing tends to show our true motivations like difficult circumstances. You want to find out why somebody is really worshiping the Lord while somebody is really serving the Lord in whatever capacity they're serving? Let that service have some difficult circumstances to it. Let that service become harder than normal. Let that service not meet their early expectations and see if they have staying power. See if they stick with it and stay the course. There's a phrase that says people are like tea bags. You don't really know what's in them until you put them in a little bit of hot water. And then the true stuff starts to come out. And these folks in the book of Malachi, they were under some difficult circumstances. Nobody's denying that. Sometimes life gets hard, doesn't it? Circumstances get difficult. It doesn't seem to be as easy as we thought it was going to be. We say to ourselves, I didn't sign up for this, God. This isn't why I got into ministry, God. Jesus says to us, I know it's hard. But I am building in you a character and an example in your ministry that the world will look at and they will give glory to the Father in heaven. And I didn't want to go to the cross. Do you remember that? I didn't want to go to the cross. But I did. Keep your chin up, kid. You can do it. Don't quit. If you honor me before men, then I will honor you. Does that sound familiar? Countless men and women have died terrible deaths for the kingdom of God. We don't got time to go into all of them and the examples I could give of the way they were tortured and killed and drawn and quartered and burned at the stake so that you and I could have the freedom that we do to worship our God. Something as simple as having the word of God in our own language, to read. People have died so you could have that. And how do we honor that sacrifice? How do we honor those men and women who have done that? Do we do it by complaining? Or do we do it by contributing to the kingdom of God? You tell me. This thing called the building of the church and the kingdom of God is the single most important and noble cause on planet earth. You can give yourself to nothing more important than this. But it has never been easy. It's never been easy. Read your Bible. It's never been easy. If we want to serve God, church, hear me, if we want to serve God, if we want to build the church, there will always be difficult circumstances. Always. Don't sign up for it today and say, nobody told you it was going to be hard. I'm telling you, the hero of our faith came to his own people and they beat him and spat on him and nailed him to a cross. When we sign up to build God's church, there will be difficult circumstances. There will be times when it's hard. There will be opposition. But there's good news. There's good news. God is watching. And what do difficult circumstances do? I've got three things for you here. This is what difficult circumstances do. Write these in your notes. Difficult circumstances cause us to lose focus and want to quit. It's very natural. Difficult circumstances can crowd out faith. Okay? Crowd out faith and difficult circumstances can cause us to complain and blame others, including God. How do we overcome difficult circumstances when we're serving the Lord? I gave you three things difficult circumstances do. I'm now going to give you three remedies. Okay? Very practical here. Step one, difficult circumstances cause us to lose focus and want to quit. Well, what do we focus on then? Let's look at what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says. It says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that what? lay where? Before him, endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. You see, one thing we got to focus on is the eternal perspective. Not today, not on our difficult circumstances, but look at the future that God has promised you. Take the eternal perspective in life. Learn to take the long view when you start to be tempted to lose focus and stare at your circumstances. Secondly, difficult circumstances can crowd out faith. So how do we remedy that? We remember who God is. We remember his character. And and church, listen to me now. We're going to be turning to Psalm 77 in just a second if you want to stick your finger there. But listen to me now. There's nothing wrong with occasionally looking up from serving God and going, Wow, this is hard. Wow, this is discouraging. Wow, brother so-and-so really hurt my feelings. Sister so-and-so decided not to use my idea for ministry. Whatever it could be, whatever is discouraging you, it's not wrong to say in your heart, This is not what I wanted. This is hard. And admit that before God. Do we think he honestly doesn't know how you feel? Get it out. And look at Psalm 77. Let's look at this here. Put that up there. This is David, and he says, speaking of God now, he says, has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Now this word, salah, here, for those of you who don't know, that word Salah, what that means is to stop and dwell and think about what you just read. So This is King David and even he is having a moment, and actually this happens quite a bit in the, in the book of Psalms, if you look. He's having a moment of, oh, why is this happening God? I don't want this to happen. This is so hard. Have you forgotten about me, God? Do you still love me? Do you still care? Do you still notice? Are you still just? And he says, so I say it is my sorrow that the right hand of the Most High has changed. He thinks God has changed and doesn't care. And then in verse 11, he starts to come to his senses. And what's he say? I will what? Say it again. Remember. Remember. I will remember that the Lord's, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, he says. I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and I will what? Meditate to sit and think about your actions. David says, when I'm tended to focus on my circumstances that are difficult, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to remember how good you are, God. And I'm going to stay there in my prayer closet on my knees, remembering your goodness and your greatness and your glory and your power and your majesty until I can rise from my knees and say, God is good. Despite my circumstances. God is in charge. Amen? Amen. Difficult circumstances can cause us to complain. Listen, when we begin to say to God, why has God allowed this? This shouldn't be, if I was in charge, if I ruled the world, if I was captain of this ship, this wouldn't be this way. You ever felt that way? Be honest. Nobody's being honest. That's a dangerous place. You do not want to go there. When we do that, perhaps unknowingly, we place ourselves above God. Be careful. In your heart's complaining to the Lord about a circumstance, you don't get to the point where you say, man, if I was in charge, this wouldn't happen. God, why do you allow this? This shouldn't be allowed. We're now putting ourselves above God. Listen to this quote, and I hope, it's kind of wordy, but I hope you get the logic in it. The next time somebody asks you, why do good bad things happen to good people? Have you ever heard that argument? If God is real... Why is there so much injustice in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Look at this quote from Tim Keller. If you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have at that same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you cannot know. Indeed, you can't have it both ways. Do you understand what Tim's saying here? Now, let me give you a preface statement. He's not saying every bad things that happened in the world is because God wanted that to happen, that God said, let it be so, right? It's not because God's saying, let there be leukemia for kids. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, you shouldn't get in the habit of looking at negative circumstances and saying, if God really loved us, this wouldn't be this way. If God was watching, this wouldn't happen. Because sometimes, just maybe, if you've got a God that you believe is big enough and transcendent enough to solve all that in the blink of an eye, could it be? <laughs> all right, some of my mentors have said, when I'm in the wrong, and they gently say, Stephen, Have you considered, could it be that that same God that you think is big enough and great enough to solve all of this in the blink of an eye is also big enough and great enough to know better than you do why this is happening right now? You know, consider the business person who showed up at the dock to catch the boat at a very important meeting across the Atlantic, and he shows up just in time to see the ship pull away from the dock. And he's angry and he's upset and frustrated because he missed his boat. And two days later, he looks down on his knees in gratefulness at the name on the ticket because the ticket says the Titanic. Could it be that sometimes when you think you've missed out on something great that God might actually be protecting you from something? It's not always that way. But when you put yourself above God and start questioning him and you're mad at him because he didn't solve it, remember that same great God might have a good reason for it. You never know. Don't sit in judgment of God. Trust that God is still in charge and he knows what he's doing. And in the meantime, there will be hard circumstances and there will be sickness and there will be sadness and there will be death because we live in a broken world. And one day God will come to solve all that. Let's look at the second group. This is group two. And these are the ones that we talked about earlier in verses 16 and 17. What does it say there in verses 16 and 17? At that same time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, a special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. This group really catches God's attention, and he takes the time to record a special book in his presence. And let me ask you a question. Does God need a book to be written for him to remember something? Notice this. God doesn't need a book to remember something. He takes the time to say, hey, angels. Well, this is how I think God God would talk. It might be lower. "Uh, Hey, angels. You know, or something. And he would say, come here. Bring that gilded book over here. You know, he opens it up. And it's a book of honor in heaven. And he says, Devin. He says, Greg. Bell. They found favor in my sight. And one day when they stand before me, all of heaven will see the honor bestowed on these who were obedient in the midst of complainers. Can you imagine the moment in heaven? When the great God who needs no book to remember anything takes the time to write your name down in honor. Amazing. I took the time to look up a few verses here. Don't try to flip through these. I'm going to read through them closely. But if you think God doesn't look for obedience and faithfulness and humbleness, you're wrong. Look at this, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of Yahweh roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. They roam throughout the earth, it says. Hebrews 4.13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give, what? An account to. Your God is watching. Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Psalm 33.15, He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. Your God knows and he is watching and he is waiting to find those faithful, those ones who worship in spirit and in truth. For such are the worshipers the Father seeks. That's from John 4. God knows our hearts and our motivations. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. His gaze is razor sharp. And in this passage, we get the impression that he is looking for that humbleness and faithfulness and obedience, especially when the chips are down. God desires to remember and honor those who remember and honor him. He says elsewhere, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? Does somebody know? With your whole heart, with all your heart. Right? He says, if you abide in me, then I will what? Abide in you. Right? If you seek to remember and honor God, He wants to remember and honor you. I can't imagine what it must be like to be honored by God. How did the second group stay eternally focused? I think that's what we ought to leave here with today. How did they keep that fresh focus in the midst of hard circumstances? What made them different from group one? I think it begins with a selfless attitude. Okay? Coupled with an accurate memory of God's sovereignty. And it's strengthened by men and women around them who sought to strengthen their faith, not be a complainer but one who would hold them accountable and say, come on, come on, Matt, pick your head up. You're better than this. You can do this, brother. Remember who God is. It's going to be okay. Don't despair. Come on, I'll pray with you. Selfless attitude, remembering who God is, and good company, I think go a long way to keeping ourselves in group number two. As we close today, how does this apply to us? I've just got three simple phrases that sum up what we've heard. You'll have to write these in your notes. I believe there's no fill in the blank for this. But first, do you lose focus and want to quit? Do you ever find yourself there? You know you should be serving God. Do you ever lose focus and want to quit? Remember to take the eternal perspective. Remember, you're not home yet. These people may have, the wicked may have their honor here on earth. But you're not home yet. And when you get home, if you honor God, your honor, your reward will be great, Jesus said. Remember what Jesus did. He took the long view. Okay? Do you let circumstances crowd out your faith? Do you let your circumstances erode your faith? If so, when you feel that happening, begin to scour your memories and pour over God's word. Read over his word. And remember who he is. Until that feeling of faith is bolstered and strengthened and rises in you again. Do you ever complain and question? Do you complain to God and question him and his sovereignty and his plan? If so, remember that you don't know everything you think you know. And trust God. Trust that he's still in charge. To close today, I need three volunteers. Do we have any... Now, since we have some kids in the room this morning... Cody, would you ensure that uh, mic two is turned on, please? Since we have some kids in the room, I'd like three kids who know how to read. That's going to be necessary. Who know how to read to come up and read from the word of God with me. From the mouth of babes. All right? Three kids. We got three kids? Come on up here. Sit down with me. Thank you. Give our lovely volunteers a hand. All right. Let's start right here, and we're going to tell everybody our name. Taylor. Taylor. Okay. Taylor, I want you to read number one right there. 2 Chronicles 15.7 But as for you, be strong. Don't be discouraged. For your work has a reward. Read that last section again. For your what? For your work has a reward. That's good stuff. Thank you, Taylor. You go be seated. Okay. Tell us your name, young lady. Mia. Mia, can you read number two right here, please? Oop, hold on. Sorry about that. Number two. Gallotans, Galatians Galatians 6 9 Let us not become weary in doing good For at the proper time We will reap a harvest if we do not give up If we do not what? Give up Do you want to give up? No Are you going to serve God? You're not going to give up? Even if it gets hard sometimes? Mm-hmm. That's awesome God bless you Mia Thank you You can go sit down Okay Tell us tell who you are Avery Avery, all right, Avery. Now you can't be quiet. You got the biggest one. It's the most sentences. Are you sure you can read all this? Number three. Are you ready? From Second Corinthians. Okay, listen to this because this is good stuff. This, this is the Apostle Paul. Two Corinthians four sixteen to eighteen. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed; our inner person is being renewed. Day by day, for momentary light, affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen is what? Eternal. And what did he start out by saying? Therefore we what? Do not give up. We do not give up. Thank you, Avery. Really good. Those were some big words, too. Guys, we're going to pray, and then we're going to take two. Y'all know what take two is. You just I don't, I don't need two mics. Uh, we're going to take two, and we're going to think about what God has shown us this morning, and then we'll be done. But we're not going to give up. You're not going to give up, are you? Maybe there's something you've been wanting to give up on. Maybe there's something difficult. You're not going to give up. Maybe some of you have been tempted to walk away from serving the Lord. Or maybe some of you have walked away from the Lord. Maybe it's time to repent. You know what repent means? It doesn't mean say I'm sorry. Repent carries this idea of I was going this direction and I said, what am I doing? This is the wrong way. And I turn around and I go the other way. Come back to God. Do you hear me? Come back to God. Do not give up. Serve him faithfully for our light and momentary afflictions, it says. And that doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't hard. It means compared to to the greatness that awaits you and I, there will be a day when you stand before your father And you can't even speak because of what surrounds you in the throne room of God. And when he opens the book of honor it was talking about and your name is written there, you won't care what you went through today. Do you hear me? You won't care. It will be incomparable. You hold on. I know it's hard sometimes but get on your knees and fall before a worthy God and say, my life is yours. I don't come to you because you can make my life better or make me a better spouse or a better parent or a better boss or a better coworker, or a better student. I don't do any of that. Even though you can do all that, I come to you because you're worthy and I come to you because my life is not my own. It is yours. And I will serve you. Father God, what else can we say? Humble us, make us your servants, you're worthy. Bolster us when we're weak, strengthen us, remind us who you are, and give us people around us who will do that too and won't let us quit. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's take two.